0: Today we're going to visit the genre of Metroidvanias. everyone how's it going welcome to the 61st episode of the game dev field guide i am your host zachavelli you can find me on twitter at underscore zachavelli underscore and tune in for game dev streams on twitch.tv slash Zacavelli underscore i stream on monday wednesday friday at noon eastern We also have an open community Discord, there's a link to that in the show notes, and we've just recently gotten to around a thousand members. So yeah, I would say it's a very healthy and thriving community of beginner to intermediate game devs, and it's something you should check out if you're into game dev. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the game dev challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners to sort of do a 15 to 30 minute exercise that reinforces the themes of the show. Our last episode, we talked about art-first game development and the idea of doing art tests. And so I asked you guys for the Game Dev Challenge... To submit uh, some test art for a game idea. Remember, the whole point of good test art is to prototype the final look. And I think the winner of this did a great job of that. So without further ado, the winner of the episode 59 Game Dev Challenge is Captain Ripley. Captain Ripley's post says, I submitted this to the show and tell recently, but I was working on prototyping this barista game. Using primitive objects, I tried finding a pastel color scheme. As you can see, it really changed as I tried to hone in on an art style. I went with a simple cell shaded look with an outlined around objects. If I were to continue a development, I think I'd keep a lot of this style, but maybe push the color scheme to something a little more dramatic with colors that pop in order to lead the player's eye or evoke emotion. And Ripley kind of has two screenshots one before the cell shaded look and one after. And I think this is a perfect example of doing an art test to really find out what kind of look is going to work for your game. I think the final one with the cell shading and the pastel color scheme looks really good. It definitely gives me a emotion of being in a coffee shop. Just based on the pastel color scheme and the I don't know, almost cartoonish look of the cell shading. It's very relaxing to look at, and I think it's a really good example of the golden rule idea where when you're designing things you want to try and capture an emotion. And I think this really does capture an emotion through the art style. It's not just that the art is depicting a coffee shop, but it feels like a coffee shop. You could have drawn anything in this art style and I might have said this has a very coffee shop feel. So yeah, I would really encourage you to go look at that post just to get a feel for what a good art test looks like. And in all fairness, all the submissions for this Game Dev Challenge were really good. They had some of the highest votes, and it seems like people really liked participating and um, voting on everyone's submissions. So yeah, it's all worth looking at, and if you'd like to participate in the next Game Dev Challenge, I'll give you the prompt now. For episode 61 the game dev challenge is design a utility item or power that you would use for a utility gate in a metroidvania today we're going to talk about metroidvanias and sort of a common theme that a lot of them have in this idea of utility gates so yeah keep listening to the episode to kind of get more ideas and figure out what exactly i mean by that but for now just know that I want you to design a utility gate mechanic or item or power or whatever it is um, for a Metroidvania idea you might have. So when you've listened to the rest of this episode and you've come up with a good idea, you should go on over to the community Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Find the Game Dev Challenge channel and type up your post. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode today's episode, we're going back to the genre study format. And we're going to visit a classic genre of video games today, that being Metroidvanias. Metroidvanias are a, like I said, classic genre of games, and they're really named after two formative and important series, Metroid and Castlevania. Now, it's important to know, or maybe just a little fact, This phrase was coined after a game called Castlevania Symphony of the Night, as Castlevania games before that one were actually just more like linear action games. But yeah, that's when the idea of, hey, this is like its own genre um, started to form. So yeah, I guess just a little bit of fun video game trivia for you. Anyways, there are arguments on the internet about what technically is and isn't a Metroidvania, but I'll read you the definition from r Metroidvania, and maybe we can discuss some key features you would find in most of them. So r slash Metroidvania describes the genre as a sub-genre of video games focused on guided non-linearity and utility-gated exploration. I think we need to break those two things down. Let's start with the idea of guided non-linearity. The non-linearity part refers to Metroidvania games usually having each level or room or area connected to other areas. And these connections all form one large world that you can traverse area by area and maybe even in some sense you could call it open world. Like, you have the option of going to different areas, and they don't happen in a linear sequence. But the thing that keeps it from becoming truly open world is the guided part. Game and level designers of Metrovinias design these spaces in a way that you're meant to start in one general area, and end up in the next areas in some sort of sequence. And sometimes the sequence can be a little interchangeable, Or maybe even you're meant to backtrack through areas to discover new connections to new areas, but in general there's a lot of overall guidance or maybe even hidden guidance through the overall world. So the whole idea is it's not quite open world, it's not quite linear, it's between, it's guided non-linear. And the best way to do this guidance through the game design is through utility-gated exploration. Remember, that was the second phrase that was used to describe the genre on the whole. What is utility-gated exploration? Well, it might be better to provide an example to start. Let's say it's early on in the game and you're walking through areas just playing and exploring. And you notice in one room, there's a platform and a hallway high up above the floor you're walking on. You can tell the hallway leads to something, but it's way too high to jump up there. So the player just stores it in their memory and says, huh, that's that weird room with an unreachable spot. The player moves on and ends up doing a boss encounter a few rooms down the line. After the boss encounter, the player is rewarded with a jetpack. Now something clicks in their head. With this jetpack, they realize they can go back to the room and see what's up on that platform and hallway. So they excitedly run back to the room, they get there, they use their jetpack, and walk down the new hallway. And a whole new section of the world opens up, and now they have new areas to explore with new utility gates that need to be opened. I hope you can see by teasing the platform but not allowing them to get up there at first, and locking it behind the utility of the jetpack, it's almost invisible guidance from the game designer and it's what drives that guided non-linearity. Like, you could have just presented this in linear levels, maybe even shown the jetpack into the next room as a cutscene or something. And that's probably what you would have done in a linear action game. But by doing it in the Metroidvania style, you open the door up to much more interesting possibilities. Like, think about hiding special items or power-ups now that the player knows to look for high-up platforms with their jetpack or think about the possibility of connecting old and new areas through alternate jetpack routes. Something that really interests me about Metroidvanias is that this style of level design and not necessarily linear sequential levels allows for some really awesome sequence breaking that maybe even the game designers didn't really think of. Like, imagine if there's a wall jump glitch in our example. Now maybe the player can get up to that platform by doing this wall jump glitch, and totally avoid the boss. When you have some sort of way to navigate around utility gates through maybe extremely high skill maneuvering, now you have awesome boss skips and additional player choice that totally changes the pace and difficulty of the game. Of course, this could negatively change the game, but I think it could also lead to some really awesome dynamics. Let's talk about this cool example of navigating around utility gates or bosses um, and using the interconnected map to the player's advantage. This example I want to mention is in the Metroidvania Hollow Knight. In Hollow Knight, there's a mechanic known as the Shade. Basically, when you die, you respawn, and if you go back to where you died at, there will be a ghost-like Shade who will attack you. It's very similar to a Dark Souls kind of system if you're familiar with that game. If you kill the shade, you basically get some currency back and restore your soul meter. And something that the developers actually encouraged, or at least knew about in Hollow Knight, is that with a downwards air attack, you can sort of pogo off an enemy and get additional height on your jump. Now I know the developers counted on this to get to unreachable areas using enemies and sort of pogo up, up onto the platforms. And yeah, in an interview they mentioned this might be a good way that players can sequence break. But what maybe they didn't account for is that since the Shade is an enemy, you can pogo off the Shade. And since the Shade shows up where you die, you can basically control where the Shade is at when you die. And you put all this together and you have a sort of trampoline that you can move around the map. This allows you to put the shade in certain areas with usually unreachable platforms and use it to pogo up to those previously unreachable spots. And because the game isn't designed fully linear, and all of these areas are connected, this allows you to skip some boss fights and get access to equipment you wouldn't usually get so early in the game. And I think that's a really cool and perfect example of a skip, and I really like how the game's design sort of allows for it. Had this been a linear action game, I think it would have caused problems and probably resulted in a soft lock or some sort of corrupted file. So yeah, I hope with that example and our talk about what is Guided nonlinearity and Utility Gates you're starting to understand the essence of a Metroidvania. And now that you understand that, I want to talk about some key things that I would try and focus on when creating a Metroidvania game. The first is I would really focus on the idea of the Utility Gate tees and the mystery and wonder of discovering new areas via the utilities. What really drives a good Metroidvania, in my opinion, is the constant loop of being teased with a secret or gated path. Testing it to see if you can get to it, or imagining what you'll need to get past the gate and exploring more and finding that item you need. Eventually, you come back and finally get the payoff of finding out what is up there, what is behind that door. And once you do, you're met with new teases, and that kicks off the cycle again. The art of a good tease is finding that balance between obscuring something enough so it's not immediately obvious, but not obscuring it so much that the player doesn't notice or forget. You want to design the utility gate teases in a way so that the seed is stuck in the player's head and then further down the line when they discover a new item they get that oh yeah i remember that thing and probably can use this for that the setup of the mystery and the satisfaction of finding something to solve the mystery is the engine of a metroidvania it's that sense of mystery and wonder and realization that I think separates the good metroidvanias from the bad. So what's another way that we can set up the player for this sense of mystery, wonder, and realization? Well, I think another thing that I would focus on for a metroidvania is the world building. And I mean that both from a level design and narrative point of view. Part of the fun of a metroidvania is being immersed in the world of that game and coming to learn how all the various areas are connected. We have talked about this before, but I think it's easier for the player to build that mental map of the world if the areas are memorable. Think about how captivating the world of Hollow Knight is, how beautiful each of the areas are, how whimsical and cool the world and lore is. I'll give you an example. The sort of game's main hub area is called the City of Tears, and it's basically just a city that's always raining. That's really all you need to know if maybe you've never played this game. It's just a city that's beautifully drawn, um, that's always raining. And when you come to explore the map, you'll discover that Blue Lake is right above the city. And Blue Lake is basically just a... It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a giant lake. And you come to the realization through the world building that the reason it's always raining in City of Tears is because Blue Lake is right above it. It doesn't really tell you this in the game or spell it out for you, but you can just look at the world map and get a sense for where everything is, and come to that realization on your own. And because of that, you will always remember the layout of that world and know that Blue Lake is above the City of Tears. Stuff like that is one of the biggest reasons that the game sticks with people. And because the world of Hollow Knight is so memorable, I think people have a general idea in their head right now of how everything is connected. They know the pathways to get around the world, and it aids in that idea of having a game that is non-linear. It makes the game feel bigger than it is, and makes the world feel more real. How many linear games do you remember each and every level and the order they happen in? Probably not very many because uh, you don't have to think about how they're linked together, the game just kinda handles that for you. But because levels in Metroidvanias are presented in a more contextual world, I just think they're a lot more memorable and that's a subtle but important thing to get right with a Metroidvania. Whenever we do a genre study, I like to look at the gold standard examples of games in the genre. And if you're considering making a Metroidvania, there are a lot of great games to play for inspiration. Things like Ori and the Blind Forest, Castlevania Symphony of the Night are great examples and a good representation of the Metroidvania genre my personal favorite metroidvania is a sort of forgotten game called shadow complex that's another one i would recommend uh just for the pure fun and action of it but for this episode's gold standard example i actually want to look at two metroidvanias that i think approach the guided and non-linear design totally different and although both are masterclass class metroidvanias i think it shows how there's no hard rules and by tweaking and playing with the formula you can end up with some really interesting things. The two Metroidvanias I want to cover are the previously mentioned Hollow Knight and the most recent entry in the Metroid series, Metroid Dread. What I find most interesting about both these games is the way they get around one of Metroidvania's worst problems. And that's that sometimes it can be confusing where you have to go and it can require a lot of lost backtracking. Like with all these utility gates we talked about, Uh, and the whole idea that it's not linear, it can be easy to get lost. And it's up to the game designers to invisibly guide the player so that they don't get stuck and get frustrated. Metroid Dread and Hollow Knight approach this problem in two totally different ways. In Metroid Dread, the designers get around this problem by masterfully guiding the player to where they need to be. Mark Brown from Game Maker's Toolkit actually has an amazing video about this, I'll link it in the show notes. But essentially in Metroid Dread, the game designers use the level design to ensure that the very large world is sort of closed off and constrained for whatever section of the game you're in. This works through one-way paths where you may slide through a gap that you can't go back on or giant doors that lock behind you. Even strange alien plants that block the way you came from. It also does a good job of having the utility gates be close to where you discover the utilities for the first time. This way you're likely to remember and know exactly where you need to go. This cuts down on moments where the player feels lost because it's in their fresh working memory. With all of this guidance, the game is not totally linear, it's still, you know, a guided non linear game, uh, but it's definitely more of a closed experience, and I mean that in a good way. Maybe focused is the right word. It keeps your working world small, but gives the experience of a whole alien planet. Hollow Knight, on the other hand, handles the problem of getting stuck differently. Once you get to the City of Tears, at the, I guess you call it like the end of Act 1, the game really opens up. As opposed to Metroid Dread, the world actually gets a lot bigger, and the sequence of the utility gates is actually less specific. The world map has tons of connections, and this means that you're likely to progress in no matter what direction you go. Instead of blocking things off to make sure you stay on the right path in Metroid Dread, Hollow Knight makes sure that there are so many right paths that the player will likely find one just by going anywhere. I think this demonstrates one of my favorite things about game design in that there is no single right way to do things. Both these games identified a problem with metroidvanias and both approached this problem in different ways and they both ended up at the top of their genre. I think the key thing to learn from them is that the designers designed and embraced the idea of guided non-linearity. Metroid Dread could have been a linear action game, and Hollow Knight could have been an open-world platformer RPG thing, but they embraced the genre, letting the idea of guided non-linearity and utility gates drive their respective games. Their worlds are full of mystery and wonder and teases that make you want to explore And yeah, they're just really great video games and must-plays if you're thinking of making a Metroidvania. Anyways, we discussed a lot about Metroidvanias today, so let's do a quick recap. Metroidvanias are a classic game genre that were defined and rooted by the Metroid and Castlevania series. It is a genre of games focused on guided non-linearity and utility-gated exploration. Remember that guided non-linearity is a balance between a linear game and an open-world game. And the guidance usually comes in the form of path blocks and utility gates. Utility gates are just temporary blocks that require the player to unlock a certain item or utility to get past them, thus opening up the next portion of the game and more utility gates. Sometimes it's even cool if you allow your game design sequence to be broken. That way the players have more agency around the utility gates. Remember, it's the tease and mystery of the utility gates that keeps the player interested. You want to put that seed in their mind with the tease and pay it off after they've discovered the appropriate item to use with it. Solid world building and level design with connecting paths and a realized narratively strong world are things that the best metroidvanias do well. For the gold standard examples, remember that we talked about how Hollow Knight and Metroid Dread get around the biggest problem of metroidvanias, that problem being the player getting stuck and not knowing where to go, getting lost and having to backtrack. Metroid Dread fixes this with invisible and disguised level design that blocks your path, so you're not allowed to go too far in the wrong direction, Well, Hollow Knight makes sure that any direction you go in will likely lead to somewhere that progresses the game. This is a really cool example of how you can approach game design problems from different ways and end up with two games that are must-plays for anyone looking to make a Metroidvania. So yeah, I hope you learned a lot about Metroidvanias today. I think with this episode, I'm finally caught up from my vacation that I took like (laughs) three months ago. It feels like I have been just writing or editing or recording podcast episodes uh, with any spare time I've gotten for, yeah, all summer long. I guess I just wanted to apologize. Sorry, this one was a little bit late, but I am now caught up. So we'll see how long I can stay on schedule before <laughs> future episodes end up a little bit late. If you're wondering what I am so busy doing, well, you can sort of get a glimpse of that by tuning into Twitch on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at noon Eastern. That's at twitch.tv slash underscore. I do live dev sessions, and we kind of talk about the game I'm making currently. Um, And yeah, every day I do, you know, real-life game dev, just how I would do if I was just by myself. And I answer questions and kind of explain my process. And we usually have, like, really good discussions in chat, and I really like doing it. So yeah, come check out uh, that. Again, that's at twitch.tv slash zachavelli underscore. You can also follow me on Twitter at underscore Zachavelli underscore that's probably the best place to keep up with my day-to-day that and the discord and the discord is another good place to kind of get a general sense of what's going on with the community and yeah I should have some cool announcements to make uh with that in the near future so yeah I hope you enjoyed today's episode thank you for listening and with that I'm going to sign off I have been Zachavelli and Killing Richter is not the true ending